Did you know that Easy Medical Device is not only a blog, a podcast, or a YouTube channel? It's also an agency that is providing you consulting, coaching, and training for medical devices. So if you have any projects, don't hesitate to contact me at info at easymedicaldevice.com. Info at easymedicaldevice.com. So talk to you later. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Lazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we will talk about cybersecurity. So we had some more information regarding MDR for cybersecurity. We had some guidance that were out. And I decided to have this podcast just to help people that are um, trying to understand what they have to do for cybersecurity. And I have with me Eric Volbrecht, who will help us to uh, really understand all that. So Eric, oh, welcome oh, to the sorry, Medical Sorry, Department. I should do this in Corona times. Yeah, <laughs> let's make it more science fiction. So, so Eric, uh, so as we are talking about uh, these topics since few weeks, few months now, there was this MDCG guidance uh, that was out. Uh, there were also a lot of discussion before that uh, about cybersecurity. So um, should we consider cybersecurity as a science fiction or something where, you know, when we are looking at those movies when they are killing people because they are hacking their pacemakers or they are hacking <laughs> their devices? So is it something real now or is it still science fiction? Well, I think it's, I think it's uh, very real, actually, because... Um, um, Actually, it was in 2014, I think, I was at a meeting in Denmark where they, uh, where they actually had gotten an ethical hacker that also worked for the U.S. Army. And he was doing uh, quite some nice uh, demonstrations on, uh, on stage there on how to, uh, how to find connected medical devices uh, online and how to, uh, how to hack them uh, in 10 minutes or so. Okay. And it was pretty amazing what that guy could do. Uh, he could show us, uh, he could actually show us images that were stored on MRI machines in Thailand and things like that. So it was quite, quite amazing. Quite scary and, also. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but that's the, that's the problem with risks that uh, they, 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 are, they are hypothetical until they actually uh, materialize. And if you really want to see something very, very interesting is there's, uh, of course, maybe not everybody is a nerd like me, but uh, I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, CSI uh, Cyber. Yeah. And season two, episode five, it's called okay. Hack ER. And that is a, an episode in which uh, uh, a hacker uh, releases ransomware in a hospital and then threatens to kill a patient with a connected medical device every hour when the hospital doesn't pay up. Oh, really? And I've, I've, I've had discussions with, uh, with uh, actual hackers about the exploits that they show in this episode. And basically all of them are actually possible. Okay. So, so, it's, so it's that, dangerous. 
Exactly. Yeah. If you're if you're an RA manager uh, listening to this and you want to convince your management at a very low level that even a CEO can understand, then definitely show them that CSI Cyber episode, and then they hopefully uh, make some budget available for uh, cybersecurity as well. Yeah, because I suppose uh, yeah the manufacturers are not intentionally uh, opening vacancies on doors for hackers, uh, but at the end, yeah, they don't place enough budget, if I can say, to to secure their software or, or, or yeah, to have some maybe tests done regarding cybersecurity. So this is mainly the reason and we have really to make some awareness about, about that. Well, I would rather say that, that, that it, it depends on, uh, sometimes there's existing software that is just very modular and doesn't stick together very well and wasn't designed with uh, software and resilience in mind, that's one. And then what you also often see is that once a particular soft piece of software, let's say, has been developed, uh, a manufacturer will never, ever commit the budget to redesign it for security. Okay. Yeah. So, so better to have it good the first time instead of to have to redesign everything. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, I mean, I, I always keep repeating it with many things to clients, like you have to begin with the end in mind. And if you want secure software, then you have to design it securely from the start. And that is something that, that, that yeah, companies often find really difficult because they have software design processes that, let's say, are only focused on, uh, on medical device intended functionality but they forget to bake in security from the start. I mean, I, my little brother uh, uh, has started his career in a artificially intelligent software for uh, military purposes. And he knows a thing or two about uh, designing uh, secure for security because that's what these, this kind of software needs to be. And there they really, uh, he also did air, military aircraft software. And if, if I hear him talk about the principles they use for design uh, for, for software like that, I mean, that's, that's of course how you should do it. And even if you look at design for aircraft software, I mean, look at these idiots at Boeing, uh, how they've been uh, working as well. I mean, it's, it, it's not a given that they even design aircraft software in the right way. Yeah. So it's uh, it's really a, a big topic. I think, uh, as you mentioned, also it's not specific to medical devices. It's something that it can happen in all kind of of environment. But yeah, yeah. as here we are really focused on medical devices, we are really uh, yeah trying to give the right information for those people that are manufacturing uh, those devices. And um, the first question I have mainly regarding the, the 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 regulation is the fact that we are talking now about cybersecurity a lot. Um, but is it something that is coming here or we are discussing about that specifically because of the MDR or under MDD it was also the same kind of requirements that we had and, and it's just a trend that we are talking about that now? Well, I think it's, uh, it's a good question because, uh, because in, you will not see any specific safety requirements for, or security requirements for software in, in the MDD, of course. Right, because the MDD dates back to 1993 when they didn't even have the concept of devices running software or devices being software. But uh, but but the the MDD has always been, I think, an extreme Swiss Army knife of of legislation. Yeah, 
And of course, under the MDD, uh, we had our uh, fantastic essential requirement 12A about software and lifecycle. And um, of course, we had the, uh, the basic requirement of risk management uh, and, and design requirements for that under the, uh, under the medical devices directive. So all the, let's say, substantive requirements for, uh, for software uh, in terms of cybersecurity, they were already there, you could say, except that they were not written down in such an explicit and prescriptive way as they are now in the, uh, in the MDR. I think that's actually true for a lot of things that these were, let's say, substantive requirements that already applied under the MDD, but uh, have just been written down in a more prescriptive way in the MDR. But um, as you mentioned, so they are more they are written down now in the MDR. We have also some guidance coming uh, regarding uh, cybersecurity from MDCG. Um, does it mean that the notified bodies will have more focus about that? There will be some experts within the notified body uh, group that will have the task, if I can say, to review this cybersecurity topic? Well, they, they better because now cybersecurity is also uh, an explicit, uh, more explicit requirement. So um, under the MDD, uh, it was, well, first of all, uh, a lot of software escaped notified bodies altogether, yeah. right? Because it was all Rule 12. And that is not the case under the, uh, under the MDR anymore. But also, um, but also you, could, you could say that, that the requirements were there. So notified bodies that did do software uh, or, or, or looked at devices that were running software they would also already, always already need to uh, review risks related to uh, device running software. So let's say, for example, I have, uh, let's say I have a, 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 a radiation device, a particle, a particle beam for a treatment of cancer. Yeah. And that device runs software, of course, because uh, uh, the Iron Man in which you can actually manually adjust the mirrors for your particle beams and then uh, make something work. So you need software for that. And if you, if, I mean, if you have software uh, running on a device that controls a particle beam with which you can burn holes in people, basically, then you want really good risk management on the software as well. And these would be would be really basic stuff like uh, like for example, um, uh, if if the device has a, a a graphic user interface with the outside world, then do I need access controls on the user interface, or if my particle uh, particle accelerator is uh, connected uh, via the internet, so I as a manufacturer can do easy firmware uh, updates, uh, is that a really good idea to do it? So um, in terms of, uh, of uh, as I've said, notified bodies, we need to have some experts. Uh, and I think also manufacturers have now to, or hire some consultants that are really um, fine, if I can say that are really skilled with uh, cybersecurity or hire directly the team within their, their group. Um, so mm -hmm. do you think that we'll move more and more within this kind of area? Because we have the equipment that contains the software, and now we have also all those applications that are uh, running on our smartphone, which also need those kind of things. So this will mm -hmm. be really a big, big uh, job, if I can say, a big role 
within the medical device companies? Yeah, I think so because the, the because more there's there's more and more software and software running devices. So and, and also in fact uh, there there are more. Uh, uh, so let's say so you could say the threat envelope has increased, right? Because there are more uh, there are more types of devices uh, that are software themselves or use software. Uh, they are deployed on a much wider scale, and you actually see. That, uh, that, that there are risks for that because uh, in the Netherlands we've had software, we've, we've had hospitals that had to close down the whole hospital, okay. for example, because they were affected by ransomware. Okay. So it, it, it's not like these, these risks are hypothetical. And then I think there's one other uh, influence that also, um, also impacts on this is that the... Uh, Basically, every device that is software or runs software is processing uh, personal data concerning health of patients one way or the other, yeah. which means that for Europe, it's covered by the General Data Protection Regulation. And the General Data Protection Regulation has quite strict rules on uh, security principles. Uh, actually, even the GDPR explicitly requires safety by design, security by design. So that's that's actually that's an interesting concept that you uh, that that impacts on uh, how devices should be uh, designed as well. So it's uh, an overlap between between what you have with the GDPR and what we have as the requirements uh, for uh, for the MDR. Uh, so there is really this overlap between the, those requirements, and they are, we are going all, all, all those things are going in the same direction uh, to have products that are safe and also to protect data of, of the patients. Yeah, because it's it's bit yeah because under both both of these regulations refer to cybersecurity design principles, and the good part about science is that it's it's science. So that means that these principles are, yeah, basically the same under uh, under both of these regulations. So in both both regulations uh, use the the so-called uh, CIA triad. Uh, so the uh, uh, the triad of the principles of uh, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, mm -hmm. which are uh, uh, leading principles under both of these regulations. Which which actually means that as a manufacturer, when you are designing a software running device or you are uh, designing software as a medical device, it's really uh, a smart idea to do both your uh, data protection impact assessment under the GDPR and your risk management uh, plan under the MDR at the same time and actually have these processes uh, interlock, if you will. Yeah, I think the risk, uh, the risk are, are, if I can say, you can have both elements inside your risk risk assessment and define what are the risks and to try to reduce them. Um, in terms of medical device manufacturers, so now they hear that they really need to do that and to move forward. So what would you advise them to start with? What is the first step for them to do and what, what exactly, they, they, which guidance or also they can follow uh, to be on the safe side? Well, um, uh, I would always advise them to begin with the end in mind, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, my father was a software designer. My little brother is a software designer. He makes software for really risky stuff. 
So I was taught, I've, I've learned to program in basic and, and in other languages. And, and what I've, I'm from the old school of programming. Okay. So I would always sit down, define what my software is going to do, and then, uh, then think a bit about risks. Uh, how, how am I going to do this? And then I would write it up. And I would have some iterations in, okay, the, am I where I need to be? But what I see a lot with, especially with uh, uh, startups, is that companies tend to, uh, they tend to start out with very, very basic uh, design goals okay. or design specifications because it's agile and it's scrum and uh, uh, you have like five lean six sigma black blue belts uh yu ninjas uh, on the project that will sprint all over the place okay which sounds like a very nice uh, exercise in bullshit bingo so i'm i'm having a bit of fun with these terms but typically what i see is that if you design software that way you need to really, really make sure that your team stays on point and designs for the task that the software is for. And what you see, and that is, I think, a more general problem with, well, of course, startups that are strapped for cash, but also manufacturers that have projects that are strapped for resources, is that the first thing that suffers when uh, there is constraint on resources, it is the how well the software is built. Okay. Because teams, teams are software development teams are not, in the end, uh, let's say uh, they are not evaluated on how good and secure was the software that you deliver. No, they are uh, in the end they are evaluated on. Did you uh, were you able to uh, to to deliver a working prototype that we could ship for the deadline? Okay, and, and that's that's where the problems start, I think. Yeah, so uh, this is mainly for the design phase uh, when we are designing the products. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have some advice for the regulators or the the regulatory affairs managers or quality affairs quality assurance people that? have to, if I can say, look at what those people are, were doing. Is there some advice for them? Uh, yeah. Take your CEO to the parking lot, slam their fingers in a car door, in, uh, and, and talk about dead bodies that will pile up when software doesn't work uh, in the way it's used. Maybe show them a season, a season two, episode five of CSI Cyber to, re to help them understand that this is actually about something. And because people people tend to think like, yeah, software can be dangerous, right? I mean, how is how is software going to harm somebody? Well, I mean, you can harm people very severely uh, with uh, software. That's 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 actually what the whole idea of uh, uh, of integrity and availability in the uh, cybersecurity triad is about. That you actually know that the software is not compromised and will do what you want it to do. So and it always looks bad if you have to fix things afterwards. So is it tr so? Uh, let's say that a training really uh, made by a professional in cybersecurity would be really a great asset for them, uh, so that they can really understand what are the requirements and what are the risks and what they should do exactly 
to be on the safe side for for their development and for also the regulatory part of the of the of the of the business. So we have uh, also, as I've said, some guidance that were issued by MDCG uh, or some mm -hmm. other parties. So those guidance, do you think they will help uh, our manufacturers to be on the safe side? Well, if the manufacturers actually read uh, read them and apply it, for sure. Uh, but that's of course always uh, that's of course always the thing uh, because uh, I think the problem with uh, the cybersecurity requirements are like with risk management in general is that the that the result is as good as the people that apply the rules. Okay. Right. Because because. Uh, with risk management, I mean, uh, the, the risk management standard is fantastic, but you can still do really bad risk management by using the methodology. Yeah, clear. And I think the same applies to cybersecurity. There is a lot of good cybersecurity met material out there, and I think the, the, the new guidance is good, although it is kind of a rush job, I would say. I mean, the MDCG managed to even make a spelling mistake in the title, which I think is kind of... <laughs> Guidand. I think it was Guidand. And uh, as soon as we mentioned that on LinkedIn, I think they, they corrected that quickly, but it was, uh, it was funny. Oh, it's, it's still not corrected. Uh, oh, you can really? still download... Yeah, it's I just... saw a copy that was corrected, so it's why I was thinking they corrected really? that. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, I, I still... I, I, I think I downloaded a lot non-corrective copy recently. And also, I mean, there's mistakes in the numbering and so on. So, I mean, really, MDCG people, it's, if you want something to not look as a rush job, then give some thought. Uh, these, these are things if my paralegal does something like this, I will just be very angry with them. It's, yeah. this, is, this is official stuff. But some anyway. Good, some good document practices should be executed here. We have maybe to, to audit their procedure for that because yeah, just to, to get that they have the right things coming out. Um, yeah, get, get a secretary or something. And I know it's difficult in the government because nobody has money for that, but I would pay for a secretary for them if we would get better documentation. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, but they, I think I think the guidance it it is still I would say uh, what I would say is really helpful about this guidance is that it uh, it does a good job in clarifying some of the what I think are core issues in the MDR. Um, I've been teaching MDR uh, these days with the principles saying CE means connected everything. <laughs> everything. Is Everything is connect. Everything has to do with everything under the uh, under the uh, MDR. More data required. Very okay. relevant for risk management as well. Okay. Did you look at everything relevant? Right. <laughs> so so um, I would say for the risk management, you could say it's more data relevant. And then, of course, there's also the nice. Um, uh, acronym uh, that I've also been teaching by CE also means consistency everywhere, and that's, and that's also important. So if you if you have a if you have a data protection policy that treats cyber risks differently than your risk management for the medical device, then you are doing something wrong as a manufacturer because then your risk management is flawed. Because you're apparently not looking at the right risks. 
either you're not looking at the right risks in your MDR silo, or you are not looking at the right risks in your GDPR silo. And I think that really means that these silos should be overlapping or at least be in very close contact with each other. Yeah, no, I think... To answer your question, I think what this guidance does a really good job at is uh, showing how to do good risk management for uh, software. How, basically, risk management for uh, cybersecurity risks sits in the, dire- in, in the MDR and how processes relate to each other. And uh, they have a couple of nice, uh, really nice, I think, uh, graphics in the MDR. So people that watch this podcast Please download the document. The document is, uh, has these nice pictures like this in it, nice flowcharts that show how different processes relate to each other. It has nice tables in it that give you uh, ideas on, on how, uh, how uh, certain things correspond to each other. There is a nice, uh, another nice table how it relates to other European uh, legislation, like for example uh, the GDPR. So I think it's um, I think the document has done a good job at putting a lot of information together and also putting it into context. And I think the the the, the what I like very much is how they how they do that and also how they show that cybersecurity is a bigger picture. Yeah. So a bigger picture of data protection as well, for example. And that's, that's nice. They give a good overview of um, uh, application of basic principles of uh, cybersecurity. How also, and that's important as well, how that, uh, uh, how that is also relevant for the supply chain of devices and also the users. Because you may remember that in the MDR, there is now a special GSPR for um, the IT environment in which you are going to deploy software. And they talk a lot about that. I don't think that there's there's some mentioning about contracts and how things work. Uh, Well, there you can see that people that wrote the document are not lawyers. I don't completely agree with everything they wrote in there. And I think it's also not always realistic uh, contracting practices the way they describe it, but I'll write a bit more about that in the blog that I'm uh, writing uh, about the, uh, the, the guidance. But overall, I think this is a very useful uh, contribution to, let's say, the regulatory state of art. And also, I think it's, uh, it's going to fit well into, uh, or at least I hope, in the IMDRF work item on cybersecurity that they're working on it because there's a larger IMDRF work item where they are working on uh, yeah, basically the global, the global guide on cybersecurity for medical devices, practice and principles it's called. And that guide I expect will look a lot like this guidance. Okay, and uh, so anyway, I will put all those guidances on the on the mm-hmm. show notes. Uh, and as Eric said, also he, he is writing now a, a blog, so I will put that on the show notes as soon as it's out. I think he will be releasing that before this episode is uh, is on air. So uh, we can then read of the of it directly. Um, just one uh, one thing. So um, we are talking about risk management. We are talking about design. So it means that it's something that is 
before to release that on the market. Is there mm -hmm. something about PMS, post-marketing surveillance, for those software that we have also to look at related to cybersecurity? Excellent point, because I forgot that in my uh, enthusiastic uh, rant about uh, all the good things uh, uh, in the MDCG guidance. That's one of the other good things, I think, that they really underline in the uh, MDCG, MDCG guidance. And that is that when the software ships, that doesn't mean that your risk management is finished. Okay. And that I think is uh, uh, if we look back at the old, uh, the old, the good old MDD, right, where we uh, where we uh, uh, also had to do post market surveillance, but post market surveillance was a lot less precisely described as under the MDR. The MDR is really specific about post market surveillance. I think that's one of the areas where uh, things developed insanely. Um, because under the MDR, we now have uh, Article 84, right? Uh, and of course, IVDR people, please uh, imagine the corresponding uh, uh, IVDR article because I can't always mention the double. But the IVDR has the same corresponding uh, article because software can also be, uh, be an IVD, right? And uh, so both under the MDR and the IVDR, there is the uh, requirement of having a PMS plan. And the PMS plan, that is no small matter because there's, there's a whole annex that deals with PMS plans. And, uh, uh, there's, uh, and, and it's quite specific in what you have to include in a PMS plan. And that is, for example, um, doing a life cycle relevant follow-up on changes in risk profile of your uh, device. And uh, to give you a really simple, um, uh, simple, ooh, I'm completely amazed about the nice halo I have above my head. Sorry. Um, the, um, uh, so there's the, if, if you look at PMS, for example, and you put that in a really simple hacking context, like, uh, context Let's say, for example, your software is out there and it turns out that your software, that there is a particular uh, ransomware in the market. Yeah. Then a medical device manufacturer, you have to have a process to make sure that on the double, you start to check, is my software susceptible to this, um, to this, uh, to this ransomware, for example? And let's say, for example, um, um, I've seen a really cool exploit with a prosthetic limb. There was a prosthetic limb that you could uh, that was uh, that you could program from your telephone, from your smartphone, with an app through Bluetooth. But then it turned out that this uh, that this um, that this uh, prosthetic limb was uh, vulnerable to a man in the middle attack. So that means that somebody else could pretend to be the app with the Bluetooth and they could just take over your prosthetic limb. Okay. It's not very nice. Yeah. So for example, let's say as a manufacturer, you have designed your device to be secure for a particular version of the Bluetooth standard. Bluetooth standard is evolving all the time. New security features are added. So that means that in the post-market uh, surveillance phase, when 
the Bluetooth standard evolves, that also means that you need to check whether you can actually make your devices safer by, um, by for example, upgrading to, uh, to a new Bluetooth protocol or check by what time you should maybe uh, ask your users to upgrade the device uh, physically before it's not safe to use anymore. Because you don't want, you don't want pranksters like me to, uh, to do man-in-the-middle attacks on people's prosthetic limbs just for the heck of it, because that wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be a good idea. So it means that uh, for your post-marketing plan, you have also to include this requirement to check all those changes, all those elements that can uh, breach the security and that you have then to, uh, to investigate, to monitor and to correct definitely uh, so that your product is more safe and more secure. So it's why, as you mentioned, the life cycle of the software is also something to consider and not just um, leave it, release that on the market and say, now it's fine, we are... Okay, I think I remember on one of the episodes we had on software, maybe uh, we talked about the fact that, I know it was on class one, we talked about the fact that when we are doing a, uh, we have a software on the market, uh, it's not imaginable that there is no updates that are happening because there is always some security patch or security updates that are going every time. Uh, so it's, it's a difficult field for manufacturers because they are changing their software quite constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but even even that changing the software could also well. I mean, doing a, a, a security update could also be a reason to change your software, not only to add new functionality. Yeah, and and especially in cybersecurity, the state of art moves very very quickly because it's a continuous uh, evolution between uh, security measures and people trying to exploit. Uh, these security measures and avoid them. So that's that, and that is that is a process you have to follow as part of your post-market surveillance. No, it's it's clear, oh. clear. Uh, one last point that I wanted to cover here on this episode is about uh, the fact that we are focusing now on the EU. Um, is it the same, for example, in US or in other countries? So do we have the same kind of requirements for our software? So if I build, a, if I design a software that is meeting the EU MDR. Would this meet also the requirements for other countries? Well, uh, with the US, I'm pretty confident that if you do it according to the best risk management that you can do with this uh, new guidance in mind, that you would be really close to uh, meeting the, uh, the requirements over there as well. Because like I said, it's science. It's yeah. exact science, actually. So that means that that that... If you manage risks well here, then you will probably have also managed them well for there. And I think it helps a lot that the IMDRF is working on, uh, on things. Um, and then if you look at the kind of documents that are coming out of the, uh, of the IMDRF, it is all pretty uh, harmonized stuff. For the, of course, for the US, You'll have to write up your documentation in a bit different way, right? But yeah. uh, but in the end, in the end, whether your software uh, runs here or there, basically the same. And just as with devices, I mean that you're not going to design specific devices for here and for the US. So that means that in the end, it's uh, it, it it should be uh, should be more of the same, but maybe with the uh, with the documentation uh, written up a bit differently. 
Yeah, no, clear. So uh, you can design it, if I can say, safely, and then uh, your regulatory affairs people have to uh, write the right documents for each country so that they are meeting the, the requirements of each country. But safe, uh, yeah, we should not change the software just because it's going to one country or the other. So the, risk, the risks will be the same, basically, yeah. because, because the, the user, the end user uh, environment will be the same, the lay user uh, environment will be the same. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that would be different maybe if you would be designing devices for, uh, let's say, the, the Australian outback or something where devices have to be extremely rigidized also as regards uh, to software because you can only hope for a weak 3G signal like two days a year or something. Yeah, yeah. clear. Um, okay, so um, so thank you, Eric. I think uh, we covered really what we had to say today. Um, I will put on the show notes all the guidance that uh, that we we have talked about today, or maybe more uh, on the show notes. So don't hesitate to go and to check uh, to check them. Uh, this will be really important for you to uh, place your software uh, on the market uh, so that it is compliant and it is uh, yeah putting the safety for your patient, uh, performance, etc. So, um, Eric, uh, so there is also, as I've said, your blog. I will put the link there. Uh, so I, uh, I, I think there is uh, also more information there that you will provide. Mm -hmm. so will you go more in more deeply on this thing or? Yeah, I think uh, I think it will be more technically because I'll I'll discuss uh, some of the uh, the risk management methodologies uh, in more detail, and I'll probably talk a bit more uh, also about uh, overlap between uh, GDPR, uh, security risk management, and medical devices uh, risk management. And also, I'll have to write it now because I promised that uh, that I would. Actually, I wrote it last weekend, but then due to a WordPress uh, screw up, my uh, my the whole thing I wrote was just lost. I had a tense argument with uh, WordPress uh, support uh, this morning, but uh, we still haven't found out whose fault it is. But anyway, I'll write something better now. So that, that's what I've resigned myself to. But uh, yes, something is uh, something is coming. I promise. So I'm, I'm sure when the people will listen to this episode, it will be out. So then uh, you just have to go to the show notes oh. and you'll find the link, uh, the link of it. Okay, Eric, so thank you for your help and I wish you a nice day. Live long and prosperous. Bye. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much. 